see everybody. Good, good to have a good crowd. Good to see Paul wheeling around in his little go-kart there. For the folks that are visiting with us, Paul's had a, a real bout with uh, his his feet over the last month and a half, so it's good to, good to see him out. And uh, we've got a number of visitors, and uh, we're glad to have you. And uh, I was trying to whisper to Sandra there and trying to understand, but uh, we we found out many years ago about Rustin Youth Camp, the leadership part where they do the leadership camp for young men and I think elders have to approve or for them to, to go to it or used to. And uh, so this morning you actually saw an example of what that camp did with Taylor leading singing. And uh, he came back from that. Uh, he, he had been trained, but he they taught him a lot better than what his dad could teach him and others. So, um, and to get around a hundred young men that are energetic to the Lord and to have that encouragement. So it's, it's good to see brethren from other parts of the world, from Alabama. I'm not sure where you are in Washington, but I'll get to know you, and I'm sure somewhere we'll know somebody and uh, have something in common. But that's what we have as a family, as a church. And uh, it's amazing what you can grow and what you can see. And uh, it, it is a blessing. To, to have the, the church family and in uh, all the different ways that we, we can grow together. And our family is, is quite large. Uh, you know, there's brethren out there in Washington State. I, I still remember the time I had to go out to California and work. And I, I forget if it was a month or two months, and remind me what it is later. But uh, I went to church with the brethren there and they figured out what I was doing. It was it was Super Bowl Sunday, and I remember one of the elders there invited me over, and I was sleeping in their living room, dozing in between church services. And uh, you know, it's just kind of nice that, that they never knew me. They invited me in, into their home, and and uh, it just felt like home. And uh, so we have a lot of blessings in the church. Um, so this is, a, I think this should be the last lesson on First Peter. I've been taking us through over the last few months whenever I would preach First Peter. And uh, my whole point in doing this is these letters were written to people and they took these letters and they read them. We have the New Testament, so a lot of times when we preach, we usually preach, and, and there's nothing wrong with that style of preaching. And, and matter of fact, this is one of the, the reasons I'm making this comment, this is one of those lessons that if I was going to preach this lesson, uh, I would probably take the first four verses of this lesson and, and really preach that over about two or three sermons because it's about elders. And if you've never studied elders, you can't understand these passages. But I'm not going to do that this morning. I, I contemplated that and, and was debating what I would do. I'm just going to go through, but realizing elders are the designated leaders of the of, of congregations. And uh, at this congregation, we do not have elders yet because we don't have, uh, we have not reached that plateau. And we're studying in Galatians. And we understand the first missionary journey Paul went through developing churches. 
And then whenever he came back around, he reversed his trip and appointed elders in those churches. And uh, which, unfortunately, we're reading in Galatians how quickly they left their first love. But uh, so this is what I, I, I like to preach like I've been preaching lately is uh, just taking a, a chapter, going through it and, and studying it and uh, talking about that. And this is probably one of those chapters you really need to kind of bounce back between Titus and Timothy and Acts and to understand these first four verses. But I'm not going to do that. We'll do that later. So uh, take your Bibles out. First Peter, the fifth chapter, is where we're going to be talking from. So starting off, it says the first, few, first verse there, I exhort elders among you as your fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also uh, of the glory that is, is to be revealed. So Peter makes it known here, he's not only an apostle, but he is an elder in a church. Those are two different qualifications. Those are two different positions. And so Peter makes it known that he's an elder because he says to my fellow elders. Now that tells now you can go to these other passages that will tell you certain characteristics about Peter. So could all apostles be elders? The answer is no. Why? Because one of the qualifications of being an elder, you had to be married. The husband of one wife. Could Paul be an elder? No, Paul couldn't be an elder. But he was an apostle. So the point is, is Peter was an elder. It tells us that he's married because to be a qualified elder, you have to be married. So uh, anyway, so that's his, that's, that's his opening here in, in this passage here. And he's a partaker also in the glory that is, that is to be revealed. So he tells the elders, Shepherd the flock of God among you, and and so there's a lot there, and we, you know, like I said, I could I could go weeks on end discussing elders and take this one little piece right here, but shepherd the flock among you. He didn't say shepherd the flock among you, and whenever you get time, I want you to jump over to uh, Atlanta. I want you to shepherd that flock too. Elders shepherd the flock that they're among. That's where they shepherd their flock. So, he says, shepherd the flock among you. There's elders uh, there. Uh, exercising oversight, not under compulsion. So what is oversight, not under compulsion? Other words, uh, actually, I want to read. I'm going to flip down. I decided to do this. This is a New Living Translation. I like the way it, it puts this. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. So this word compulsion is, is, is he's telling them to watch over it willingly and not grudgingly. If you're a leader... Not every day you want to get up and go lead. Okay? There are days you don't want to get up and go lead. But here's the qualification for an elder. You've got to be willing to do this job. 
And you got to do it, not grudgingly. In other words, the day that you become, oh, I got to go deal with these people. Well, guess what? You know, I, I know some elders that's, that, you know, they, they get a little flustered at times. But the whole point is, do they still have the love and compassion for the church? And so you, they've got to have the right attitude because they are God's leaders. And uh, they do it voluntarily according to the will of God, as in verse 2 states. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Now this is important that we understand what one of the things elders do. They do this because they're serving God. And that's one of the things we will read here. But the whole key is elders can't be doing things for gain. I get up every day and go to work. I don't do that the same reason I come to church. I get up and go to work for gain. Okay? Now, I now fortunately, for me, I enjoy my job, I have passion for my job, and I like my job. And I might even do my job for a little bit less than what they pay me. Now, nobody go out here and tell them that. <laughs> but the point is, as an elder, you don't do it for gain. You do it because you're serving the Lord. Now, is this a higher calling, higher job? It is. And that's why I said this is one of those lessons that you really might need to go and do a lot more. There's a lot more that's being said in these passages whenever you go read all the qualifications and the different distinctions that they make for elders. But the point, but anyway, so for leadership, and I want you to think about this too. I want you to think about this too. Who are the best leaders that we've known? They had passion and compassion for what they were doing. They had passion for their leadership and compassion for the folks that they were leading. Now, the interesting, so verse 3, nor yet as lording it over those allotted in your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. This is a key question. This is, this is, not a, key question. This is a key point. And I use this passage here also for any kind of leadership role that you want to take. Notice what he said. Everybody in here has been exposed to a leader that said, do as I say, not as I do. Every one of us has been exposed, and I, I would question whether that's a leader. That's a boss. But what this is telling here, the leaders of the church is not to have, even though they might have authority over us, and he's going to tell us that down in, in verse 5 and 6. He's telling them elders have to be examples. And if you go back and look at what he gives as qualifications for elders, you'll see that that's very clear in what they do, what elders have to do. But this is one of those things about leadership that if you have to walk in every day and take a stick and get your people to do what you want them to do, that's poor leadership. 
Because God didn't set that kind of leadership over his church. Because it's not lording over people that you want people to do. You want to come in and you want to be able to lead people because they want to be led by you. And the reason people want to be led by you is because how you conduct yourself. And that's what he's telling elders here. Your examples for the flock. People want to emulate the elders of the congregation. And that's what that's one of the things. Now, that didn't mean elders have to be perfect. Every one of us, we, we crucified the last perfect guy on earth. So some people like to say elders, elders have to be perfect. I, I don't believe that. Elders have to be that person that people look up to and that and realize 90% of their life, 95% of their life, they've done a good work. And they, they've led their families. So uh, just so make sure and, and as you go through uh, in leadership, I always go back to elders and the qualification of elders. And I actually do this in the real world. I actually do this in my job, and y'all can't go out and tell people I do this. But whenever I'm interviewing people, I actually look at the elders' qualifications. Is this a person that fulfills, in the role that I'm not talking about for the church, but whenever I'm talking about somebody for a leadership position, do they live, eat, and breathe what they want other, other people to do? And, and that's where you can build a good leadership team. And that's what, because that's how God told us leadership is done. Leadership is not pushing people. Leadership is, is leading people. This out in front. Um, so elders are supposed to be good examples. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown. So he, he closes this, this section of the last part of, of uh, this discussion. He's going to tell, there's a crown for you elders, just as there is a crown for all of us. But he's telling Keep doing what you're doing. There is a reward for you. Um, now, verse 5. We go down to verse 5. He So he's talking about elders. Now he comes to the younger men. Now remember, all back through Peter, we already understood there's different hierarchies in life, right? And so he's now covering... Hey, the elders are leading the church. Everybody else must be younger men. Okay, so that's so he's and so if and assuming uh, using the hierarchy as as described in other parts of First Peter, he's telling the rest of the people. So this is so whenever he's talking about the younger men, he is talking about the younger men, but he's also talking about the congregation as a whole. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Now, I think it's real interesting. And, and I encourage you in your Bible, in your personal Bible study, go back and start looking through the Bible and looking at humility. We are called to be humble as Christians. How many of us like to be told what to do. 
It's no fun. But we have to say, hey, there's a time that I that I that I need to be led. And he's telling them, be clothed with humility, be subject to your elders. You can't be subject to somebody if you're proud. If you think you're always smarter than them. So you got this this is a very crucial point here. And he says, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. And what he's telling us is, whenever we're working with one another, don't always think we're right. Explore what the other person is saying. Understand their point of view. Now, I got news for you. You catch me on an off day, I have very little humility. I'm going to prove you I'm right. And every one of us has that ability. And so as we're working together, whenever we work to eat with each other, make sure we have that humility to work with one another because it sets a tone between brethren. And I don't always have it. I will not share with you that I, I, I live this verse. I don't, I don't get this verse every day. So... That's something we, we have to work on. And then the last part of this verse is actually a, uh, a verse back in Proverbs. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't think we want to get to heaven and be known as a proud person whenever we stand before God. And I think this is telling us how we interact with one another. And there's people in this congregation, I think, clothe themselves with humility. They start off the conversation seeking to understand, seeking to, to help understand what's going on, not their position. And that's what we've got to do. Because whenever we, uh, we don't have that humility, we can get ourselves in trouble because... because what we're doing, we're putting forth our ideas, our pride first. And it's not what I want. It's what the Lord wants. And that's, that's so as you think about that, uh, this, this is a, a key point for us Christians. And I think it's interesting. It tells us how we're supposed to interact with elders and how we're, how we're supposed to interact with one another. And, and notice in verse 5 there, it's, it's clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in the proper time. And, I, you know, we talk about this is um, Sandra, Sandra, you know, she tells everybody. It's not that she humbles herself and is in subjection to me as a wife and husband relationship it's because she's in subjection to God and she's serving God and that makes it easier whenever I'm not acting correctly for her to be in subjection to me because she knows she's serving God and so as we humble ourselves with each other 
Make sure we realize this next passage here. He tells us to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And whenever we look at it from that perspective, as Christians, I'm serving God. Therefore, I don't mind serving my fellow brothers and sisters and taking second place. And that's one of the things, this is, this is one of the things that we, in our society, for young parents, let's make sure you understand this. Our society is teaching, make your kids number one. They need to be number one on the baseball team. They need to be number one on the football team. They need to have the highest ACT scores. As Christians, we need to be teaching our kids it's okay to be in second place. It's okay to be in third place. And that is an odd teaching for our society today. Now I'm not gonna I'm not I don't tell my kids, you know, don't make the block so you can be in second place. Do your best. Do your best every day. As Christians, that's what we're supposed to do. But whenever somebody gets promoted before you, be happy for them. Be ecstatic for them. And because your focus is not to be the best in this world. Your focus is to be the best Christian. And sometimes that means you're not going to be the best in everything in the world. You see what I'm saying? I mean, I know brothers and sisters that skip church because of the next morning is a school testing thing. They want their kids to do well. What's more important? Studying God's Word or making this great grade on this test over here that doesn't mean a hill of beans whenever you're 30 years old? Now, I know that's foreign thinking to, to people in our society. It's foreign to, to people in the church. But I'm going to share with you God tells us to be humble. It's okay to be second. And I will share with you, God will bless you more whenever you're serving Him. And you might not be number one on that test, but you might be surprised at the doors that open with you. That's my own personal experience. But uh, I will tell you, don't worry about that kind of stuff. Worry about serving the Lord. Um, because it states here that he may exalt you at the proper time. And remember, the proper time is not in this life. The proper time is later on. And I think every one of us can, can show where God has opened doors for us and made us successful where we shouldn't be successful. And I can show doors where he's closed them and made me not successful, but I can also look back now 20 years and say wow he's probably answering my prayer about being faithful because I have a prayer no matter what happens help me to be faithful in the end whatever my whatever happens just make sure I'm getting there faithfully because some of those doors he's closed on me could have caused me to lose my faith or could have caused my family to lose Okay, verse 8, uh, excuse me, verse 7. Cat, so he's closing out here. He's, he's giving them these last uh, moments of edification. And verse 7, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 
This is one of those key things that we need to do as Christians. Do we cast our fears and our issues on the Lord? Do we take them out of our, our issues and say, Lord, I'm giving you this because I can't address it. Now, older that Saturn I gets, and some of you are already there, you can't, you know, I loved it whenever our kids were, were, were younger. I had complete control of them. I dominated their life. My son is sitting there right now, and he's got a beard on him. He never had a beard until he left home. <laughs> Notice I'm clean shaved. Now that's kind of a joke between my son and I. That's his choice. I don't have control over it. I don't have control over my kids that are out of my house. The point I'm trying to make, now, beard has nothing to do with whether you're faithful or not. Don't, don't anybody. That's just Clay's personal opinion. And my son knows that. But the point is, I don't have control over him anymore. But do I have anxieties with all of my kids as they leave my home? And I don't have that, that I know they're in their bedroom, that I know where they are? Yeah, we have anxieties. So guess what we do? We're handing those anxieties to our Lord. And say, Lord, we put it in your hands. Now, that, I mean, we pray every day for our kids. But I'm just making an example here. We all have anxieties. We all have fears we can't control. Give that to the Lord. That's what, that's what uh, Peter is telling us to do. Because the reason why we give those anxieties, we don't need to dwell on those. We need to be dwelling on serving the Lord. And if we give those to the Lord, we can do more for the Lord. Verse 8, be sober, be of sober spirit, be on alert. So as Christians, he's telling us, as we walk through life, be sober, be of sound mind, and be on alert. And he tells us why. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Us as Christians, are we on alert every day that we could be fallen, that we could be tempted? Because he didn't tell us, he, he told everybody, be sober spirit, be on alert. He's telling every one of us, you can fall. The devil's out there prowling. He's looking for you, and he wants to devour you. Now, this is one of those passages, if you want to go once saved, always saved, you got to take this passage out of here because Peter had it wrong. If you're saved and you can't fall from grace, then the devil's not out there. So why be of sober spirit? Why be on alert? Because there's no way for me to fall, right? So this is actually one of those passages. There are several other passages. If you go up back up to Elders, and shepherd, like I told you, there's several of these verses here we could spend all day on. 
Society today now uses the word pastor. The word pastor is not a preacher. And whenever you study the word elder, pastor, uh, shepherd, overseer, those are all the same words in the New Testament. And they don't mean what society means today. Those are specific duties in the church, and it's not a preacher and it's not an evangelist. And it's funny, Santa and I was walking the other day and we met uh, a preacher uh, from another denomination. And so we were sitting there and they asked us where we went to church. And we told them. They introduced, he, he, his wife or he introduced himself as a pastor. But whenever they found out where we went to church, they changed it to preacher. And I thought that was funny because Santa and I both picked up on it. That they, they knew he was not a pastor to us. And he knew he wasn't a pastor according to the God's word. Just as Paul couldn't be a pastor. Uh... So the, the devil's walking around. He's going to devour us. We've got to make sure that we resist him. In verse 9, resist him. Firm in your faith. I've talked about this. As Christians, we have got to be growing our faith because there's going to be that day that we're tempted. And that day that we're tempted, we're not going to be able to see the next step of our life clearly, ourselves. And I always imagine in my mind me growing my faith is this closing my eyes and taking that next step towards the Lord. That's what he's telling us here. Grow our faith because the devil's going to be out there. Be firm in your faith because the day that you can't see that actually the Lord tells you which step you're supposed to take and it doesn't make sense to you. With human reasoning, you've got to take that step. And that's a hard step to take. And as Christians, we need to be doing it. If you have a family, you're going to have to take those kind of faith steps. And so you've got to grow your faith. And he's telling them there, make sure you have firm faith because the devil's out there. And you're not going to, your, your worldly wisdom is going to tell you to take the step over here where God told you to take the step here. But you're not going to be able to see, and you've got to have faith to make that step. Uh, knowing that the same experience of suffering, and this is what's interesting. I started off the lesson kind of telling you, or at least talking about a few different churches and different things. He, he actually brings this out in this lesson. Knowing that the same, verse 9, knowing the same experience of sufferings are being accomplished by your brethren who are in, who, who are in the world. Uh, what he's saying there is there's other churches, there are other people out there having the same problems you're having. The devil's out there working on them. Have your faith. Other members are out there having the same problems. You're not the only ones here having this problem. And that's what we need. We have a lot of brethren out there. Just like in, in uh, Elijah's time. Whenever Elijah thought he was the only one, 
serving the Lord, and the Lord said, no, there's 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. We've got a support network out there, and it is great. And, and they're fighting the good fight, and they're holding to the faith. After you, verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, him will himself confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God knows what our issues are. God's grace is great enough for us. No matter what we think, God's grace is big enough for us. And all we have to do, we're going to suffer. And notice after you have suffered for a little while, and he uses, he uses here, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Some of us might have to suffer a lifetime being Christians. I'm one of those that's been blessed. I have not had great sufferings thus far in my life as a Christian. But the whole key is, am I looking for that eternal glory? That's what we're looking for. Not every one of us that's got gray hair in here. We've come to the realization, life is short. Life is short. I'm down to the point now in my life that I think about how many weekends can I die this year? And it keeps getting shorter. And then I think about how many more years can I die? Now that has, I'm being a little facetious with my thinking here, but the whole point is life is short. I'm not worried about this world because I don't have that long. I mean, I, I've lived over half of my life. Now, unless the Lord just blesses me with long, long days. But from a typical point of view, I have a lot fewer sunsets and sunrises than I've seen in my past. And so make sure that you're looking for that eternal glory that Christ promises, and he will strengthen us and give us there. And uh, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so he he basically ends his encouragement here. The, the other part of this, the other three verses here is, uh, is verse 12, 13, and 14. He's really uh, given a salutation here. Uh, through Silvanus, which is uh, Silas, Peter, uh, Silas, I'm sorry, not Peter. Through Silas, our faithful brother, that's who's going to bring this letter. He's saying, through, through Silas, our faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is true grace of God. Stand firm in it. He keeps reminding them to stand firm. He keeps repeating that. And as brethren, that's what we've got to remember. Stand firm in the faith. Uh... Verse 13, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. So this is one of those passages, uh, we don't think Peter is in the town of Babylon in Iraq. 
The town of Babylon in the Old Testament was known to be a town of excesses and of evil, and that would have been Rome. And what he's saying here, the church in Rome, chosen together with you. So the church in Rome, who's been chosen with you, who Peter's writing this letter to, is saying, sends their greetings, and also does Mark. And this is the Mark that wrote uh, the Gospel of Mark. And so that's one of those texts. We don't think Peter is in Babylon. He's just using his kind of uh, like we say today. Well, actually, I think they put their own title on themselves. We don't say, uh, it'd be like a church in Las Vegas saying, from your brethren in Sin City, we greet you and hope you stay faithful. Well, if I said Sin City, I think that's the, that? I think it's Las Vegas. Everybody would know what I'm talking about, right? So that's so Babylon. The word Babylon here is a, is a word that I think people in that time would, would note and understand. Uh, verse fourteen: uh, Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. Uh, so, uh, whenever I attended Auburn and I wasn't married. You know, we kept trying to get the elders of the Auburn Church to implement this passage because we wanted all the cute girls to kiss us. That's a joke, guys. Uh, what this is, the way we would write this passage, they greet one another with a kiss, with a handshake of love. What's our greeting today? Our greeting today is a handshake. That's our typical in our society, it's a handshake. In this society, we do see that in the Middle East where, you know, they, they do a kiss on each cheek, right? That's their handshake. Our handshake, in our, we have a handshake. So that's what he's saying, greet one another. But he's telling them, greet one another with love. And whenever we shake someone's hand, do we have that love for that person? And notice, peace be with you who are in Christ. And, and as Christians, whenever we have true faith, we should have true peace. Do we have that peace? Are we finding that peace? And if we're not, we need to be evaluating ourselves and we need to be evaluating what we believe and what we think because as Christians, death is not a fear for us. What people can do to us around us is not fear. And that's the peace that passes all understanding. And, I, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, this is not one of those passages that I that I, I have conquered totally myself. You know, um, but it's one that I'm coming better to grips with. So think about that. I hope the lessons uh, has been useful to you. First uh, Peter is, a, is an excellent book. Uh, Minus two or three passages, it's pretty easy to understand. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, you can the nice thing about the New Testament is as we talked about elders today, I can go to other passages that Paul wrote 
and I can understand those passages, and I, you know, I can use both Peter's passages and Paul's passage to understand elders. They're repeating themselves and they're articulating the same thing. And that's one of the beauties about the New Testament. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit given the Word of God because it's unity. It's not a man's opinion. It's, it's because the Holy Spirit is giving us. So if there's anyone here that needs to obey the gospel, I hope you, you uh, study 1 Peter some more and 2 Peter. And uh, we'll, we'll probably take some other passages as I, whenever I come back and preach some more. But we'll probably do some topical studies and uh, maybe like... Uh, some of these elders and deacons and things of that nature, and we'll, we'll understand what the Bible says about that. But if there's anyone here that needs to obey the gospel, uh, the gospel we always leave this time at the end of each service, but also uh, we're glad to say we're a 24-7 uh, hour facility, and uh, if anybody ever needs to obey the gospel, we're here, you know, calling one of the brethren here. We'll be up here. We'll, we'll make sure you get uh, baptized. But if there's any one of our members that, that need to repent or confess of any sins, we also leave this time as we stand and sing.